All right, well, good morning again. Let's make our way to 1 Corinthians. We're going to pick up in chapter 14 today. So 1 Corinthians 14 is where we're going to be headed. And as we get ready to land in this uh, spot and continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, uh, if you're new with this, you landed on one of the most controversial uh, chapters in the book, maybe the New Testament. So welcome in. This will be exciting. So we're going to make our way to 1 Corinthians. And as you do that, let me just remind you that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to begin with to address issues that were taking place inside the church in Corinth. And so the church at large was incredibly gifted. They had a tremendous amount of wealth and prosperity. But the reality is, as a church, uh, they were tore up from the floor up. And so Paul is writing this letter to specifically, and to begin with, address the biggest issue that was taking place inside the church. And it wasn't just the fact that they were getting drunk during communion dinner or that uh, somebody was sleeping with his uh, stepmom. This wasn't the first issue that Paul decided to address. He began with divisiveness. That the issue that was at the most root of the problem that was taking place in Corinth was the issue of divisiveness. And what Paul is going to say is, you're divisive because you're carnal as a Christian. You believe in Jesus, but you're led by the flesh, not by your spirit. And so as a result of your own carnality, the way it plays out in your life is, uh, y'all are being selfish. And so Paul addresses this by saying, look, if you want to know what it looks like to live as a person who is led by the spirit, and not by the flesh, he says very boldly and very directly to them in chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that for us, for most of us, that's a a phrase, a saying that makes us shake in our boots just a little bit. Because do I really want to say imitate me as I imitate Christ? And yet Paul could say this boldly because of the way he was conducting himself. It didn't mean that he got it perfect, but as he went through this life with fear and trembling, working out his salvation, he could say, look unto me, watch how I handle things and how I handle myself. But the reality was inside of Corinth, who was so very gifted, everybody wanted a voice. Everybody wanted to speak, and they all wanted to do it at the exact same time. And so it sounded an awful lot like uh, my house at dinner. Because what you know is when everybody wants to speak, and you got a whole gaggle of kids, the next thing you know, you got to talk a little louder, a little louder, a little louder to get your words out! And the next thing you know, you can't hear anybody speak. And so that's exactly what was taking place here in Corinth. And now as Paul is transitioning from chapter 11, which was more corrective in nature, he now moves to the more constructive topics. And what we've been looking at over the last uh, several weeks, specifically is chapters 12 through 14, deal with spiritual gifts. And what Paul said there at the beginning of chapter 12 is, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. And yet there's probably uh, no topic, or at least one of the top topics, where there is more ignorance inside the church than concerning spiritual giftings. And so Paul's gone to great detail to lay these things out for us. And so in the church in Corinth, they had all the spiritual gifts. I mean, they had game. If you would have walked in there, you would have been like, man, they've got it all going on. They've got this, they've got that. They're speaking in tongues, there's healings, there's prophecy. All this stuff was happening, and yet they had mistaken their giftings for maturity. And this is the danger zone for us, is often we can see people who are very gifted, and we can automatically assume, and they're so mature as a believer. But remember, as we went through this, the word gift is actually the word charisma in the Greek, which has the base word charis, 
which is the word we have for grace. It's a grace. And so a spiritual gifting is a gift just because of God's grace. It's unmerited. You didn't do nothing to deserve it. That's the reality. And so for these who would confuse gifting with maturity, what Paul addresses in chapter 13 is, no, no, the the fruit of the Spirit is actually uh, maturity, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then when you bite into it, it tastes like joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But the fruit is actually love played out in our life. And these folks lacked anything but control. I mean, they had no control over what was taking place. And so as Paul addresses this in chapter 13, he says, you can have all these gifts, but if you don't have love, you're just a bunch of noisemakers. There's nothing really happening. Nothing is advancing. And the word he uses for love specifically is the word agape, that self-sacrificing love. In fact, in many of your translations, if you've got the old King James uh, version, it's the word charity is how it's interpreted because it's a giving just for the sake of giving. It's a laying yourself down for another kind of a love. So as we arrive in chapter 14, Paul's stated all this about how we're to love one another. He's now going to put a capstone. He's going to finish this thing off with chapter 14, and we've only got 40 verses to cover and lunch cooking downstairs. So let's strap your seatbelts on. We're going to cover a bunch of scripture. We're going to take it in bigger chunks today, and then we'll go back and we'll address things as we go. We'll start with the first five verses. Uh, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And so as Paul begins in these first five verses, he's going to specifically call out uh, the giving of gifts, and, and in particular the gift of tongues. But remember, he's addressing a church that's very disorderly. And he wants to say, look, it's a good thing for you to desire gifts. In fact, chapter 12, verse 31, he said, uh, go and pursue the best gifts. You should want to have gifts received from your father. But what he wants to make clear is, if you're going to look at tongues and prophecy, that prophecy is actually the better gift. And the reason is because it edifies others. It's actually used to build up the church, as opposed to the gift of tongues, which only edifies you. And so Paul wants to make that uh, very clear, that it's not that these gifts are bad, it's that they need to be used properly and in order and understood. And so in verse uh, 3, he says that he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to all men. And so these words of prophecy, important to note, prophecy is used for these three things, to exhort, to edify, and to comfort. What is edification but building others up? What is exhortation but strong encouragement? And then comfort is obvious uh, that it's comfort. And so with the gift of tongues, please understand it's always uh, from man to God. It's an act of worship. It goes this direction. 
But the gift of prophecy is from God to be given to man. And so it's important to have that distinction. And so as God gives a word from himself to be given to other men, it's for the purpose of building us up. Why? Because he loves us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to cheer us on. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is nobody. And so God is in our corner cheering us on. I used this same meme from last week because I love the little guy cheering at the Penguins game. I mean, think about that. That's God so excited about you. He's like, yeah, I mean, go for it. We don't often think of God so excited. He's ready to cheer for us. Now, when I watch hockey, I don't know what's going on, but I cheer anyway. God knows what's going on, and he's in our corner cheering for us. So he wants to reiterate here in verse 4 the differences again between the gifts. He who speaks a tongue edifies himself. He's encouraged in himself, but the one who speaks prophecy edifies others, specifically the church. Now, the reality here of the giftings is um, not everyone is going to have every gift. It's important to note that. But not all people have all gifts. It's a decision the Spirit makes what He wants to give to each and every one of us. But what Paul wants to make uh, clear, and he's going to hit on this several times, is if you've been given the gift of tongues, if there's no one to interpret, it need not be shared in a church setting because how can anyone be edified? How can anyone be built up if they do not understand what is being declared? Now, in Scripture, you'll see something that is called uh, the, the first mention. And the first mention, you notice, of the gift of tongues happens in Acts chapter 2. And in the uh, book of Acts, in the Acts of the Holy Spirit, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the disciples are gathered there in the upper room. And as they're gathered together, they're praying, they're asking the Lord uh, to, to come upon them. And then the Spirit comes into the room, He comes upon them, and then this is the first time we see them giving the, given the gift of being able to speak in tongues. And in verse 9 and 10, all these different groups of people have come from all over to celebrate Pentecost into Jerusalem. And they've got Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. All these words that are hard for me to pronounce. But as they hear these things being said, they're hearing God proclaimed and praised in their own tongue is what verse 11 says. It's the wonderful works of God that are being proclaimed. So there again, you have praise going from man to God, and they can hear it in their own tongue. So they're blown away. They ask in verse 12, what could this mean? What are they seeking? But an interpretation. Now somebody comes along and says uh, in verse 13, uh, they're probably drunk. They're full of new wine. To which Peter in verse 14 thankfully clears it up. He stands up and says, men of Judea, uh, these men aren't drunk as you might suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. A great way to reason it out. They couldn't be drunk. It's only nine a.m. Thank you, Peter, for making that very clear. It's too early for him to be that loaded. But he wants to make it clear that they're not drunk, as you suppose, but this is what was written by the prophet Joel. What does he proceed to do but give them understanding? Where there was confusion, the word of the Lord came upon Peter, and he was able to stop what was so confusing for all of them. And so this is what happens. And yet in the midst of all this, what's happening is God is being glorified. His wonder is being declared, and it's a beautiful thing that's taking place. Now, verse 6, as we continue, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? 
even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it uh, be known what is piped or played? Verse 8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So, likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, verse 10, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Verse 13, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. And if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit. I will also pray with understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? Verse 17, For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so, as Paul begins this section, he says, look, how can you, understand, how can you be edified if you don't understand? How can you be built up and encouraged if you don't have a clue what someone else is saying or what's going on? And so all these beautiful words can be spoken, but they have to be understood. And the example he gives, it's very easy for us to understand that if I take Jerry's guitar over here and I begin to try to play worship music, uh, that will probably be the end of the service. Because whatever comes out of that guitar is not going to sound like anything musical whatsoever. Y'all are going to be like, that's why we thought this church was weird. Listen to that guy play. Like, we knew it. And so it's going to be over for all of us. Why? Because I don't know how to make that thing sound legible. I don't know how to make it sound in such a way where you can be built up. But in the hands of a person with the gift, they can make a noise that makes sense to everyone. And then what happens in your spirit is you're edified. You're built up. You're actually encouraged. In verse 8, Paul uses the comparison between a soldier who is in the military, that if the trumpet sounds and they're not sure what the sound is, they don't know what to do. But as a soldier, if you're in bed and you hear the, you know it's time to get up. It's time to get going because you hear the trumpet make a sound and you know what that means. And so the same is true for us as Christians, that when we hear a sound that is legible to us, we hear the trumpet sound and we know it's time to get out of bed. It's time to get going. It's time to make something happen. But without understanding, it's simply just a waste of breath. It's a waste of everybody's time. Now, verses 10 and 11, he says, look, there's all kinds of languages and none of them are insignificant. They're all important. But if you don't know the meaning of what someone else is saying, it's a waste of time. In other words, it's all Greek. Well, actually, it is all Greek if you look at it. I mean, it, that's what they spoke. But I mean, the, the, the analogy is still the same. It's all Greek to me. It doesn't make sense to me. So what he's saying is we have to be on the same page, speaking that same language in order to 
communicate. And when that's done correctly, he goes on in verses 12 and 13. Look at what the result is. Edification of the church that you might excel. Why do we spend time pouring through God's word? It's so the church can be edified, so the saints can be equipped for the work of the ministry, so you can be built up to go out and excel. That's God's plan for us as a group of believers. And so this is what he's trying to drive at. Now, as he mentions again, praying in tongues, what he's trying to communicate is that in his personal private time, as he prays in tongues, it's actually an opportunity for the spirit to be bypassed and him to to communicate, even when he doesn't fully understand what he's communicating. But within himself, he is built up. And so for those that have been given this gift, for me, I've prayed for it. I haven't been given the gift as of yet. I'm going to keep asking my dad for it, but it hasn't happened. So the, the result for Paul is he can now pray in his spirit, even when he doesn't fully understand. And what he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, this might be familiar to some of you. He writes this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray or as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so Paul's saying, I can make groanings which can't be uttered, and the Spirit is making intercession on my behalf in this spot. And yet, if you don't understand what I'm saying and I share that corporately, it's going to again lead to confusion. Verse 16, Paul says, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will those who occupy the place that are uninformed say, Amen? And so if I get up and I share something from the Spirit, and I and I yell out, la, 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 but you don't have a clue what I'm saying, how are you going to agree with me? And the form of agreement is for you to say, Amen. Understand that as we, as we share, and we communicate, and we pray with one another, uh, please know the power of an Amen. When you say amen, what you are doing is you are agreeing, and you are all you are literally saying, so be it, or let it be so, let it be done. And so if we come together and you don't understand what I'm saying, how can you agree with me? How can you agree with what God is up to? Nehemiah chapter 5, in this spot in the Old Testament uh, story time for today, as we go back there, Nehemiah has been called by God to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the city. The city is in complete disarray. And so Nehemiah, he goes back, he he takes survey of the walls. It's a disaster, but it's work physically. He, He sees that he can make a plan and get to the end of it. But the bigger disaster is what's taking place in the people's hearts spiritually. What he finds is they're actually taking advantage of one another. Forget the people from the outside taking advantage of them. They're being taken advantage of and used by their own. They're charging exorbitant interest rates and putting one another in slavery and bondage. And it's it's shameful to which Nehemiah says in verse 13, Then I shook out the fold of my garments and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. You gotta love the leader Nehemiah is. Like, I'm gonna shake out my garment with you guys if you're gonna keep using each other like this. To which the people responded, All the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. You see, as they listened and understood what Nehemiah was driving at, what did they do? But they agreed. They agreed with what God was up to. 
And as they agreed, things then began to happen. Things began to take place. They got an opportunity to participate in what God was actually up to. And so they got a chance to participate with the Lord Almighty. And you know what's going to happen if you're participating alongside the Lord. Now, something even deeper that takes place as you consider uh, praying together. And I know it's it's difficult to come together for many of us who have not been used to praying with one another, but I want you to just understand the power in corporate prayer that exists. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Lots of times we read verse 20, which talks about two or three are gathered. There I am in their name. We even put it back there on the wall. But here's what verse 19 says, and I want you to catch this. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Think about that. We come together, two or three of us, and we agree in the name of Jesus. The foundations of earth and heaven are shaken. You understand the power that takes place inside praying with one another. This is the value Jesus is driving at that Nehemiah mentioned back in the Old Testament. And what Paul's saying is, how can you agree if you come together in prayer if you don't understand one another? You're going to miss out on an opportunity for the Holy Spirit power to be poured out in your life. Now, verses 17 through 19, what Paul wraps up this section with is he wants to make it clear he's not trying to quench the Spirit. He's not trying to stop people from exercising their spiritual giftings. What he's trying to encourage them in is understanding one another. In fact, Paul makes it clear. I thank God I speak with tongues more than all y'all. Like He's like, you want to talk about tongues? I'm even better at it than you are. Thank you, Paul, for being exceedingly humble and making that clear. But he, he says it. And yet, and yet, even though I have been given this gift, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so he wants to make it clear that inside a, a service where we're together, he would rather share five words where you actually get it. You actually hear what he's trying to communicate than 10,000 words that you do not understand. And so they're encouraged to participate and take part in this together as a community with understanding. Now, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Verse 22, therefore tongues are, a, are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus, by the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. And so, as we arrive in this spot, Paul says, I, I want you to be mature. I want deeply for you to grow up. And the way you need to be mature is in understanding, not in malice. Not in wanting to see other people harmed. 
that Jesus would say in Matthew 10 that we are to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And yet oftentimes as Christians, what we do is uh, we're about as wise as a dove and about as harmful as a serpent. And if you've ever seen a, a bird and just how wise they are, I've got a, a buddy that's building a, a building between Neptune and Charleston. He just put the glass in and it's that reflective glass that's all pretty. And when I went out to look at it with him, um, birds were dive bombing into the reflective glass head on and dying. That's how wise we often are. But that's how we operate many times. We're, I mean, that, that's how we roll because we, we don't have understanding. And then when it comes to if somebody hurts us, man, we're like the serpent. We can't wait to get out and just, boom, just bite. I'm ready to attack. Jesus says, no, I, I want you to be wise. I want you to have understanding. I want you to know what's happening in your surroundings. And yet when it comes to being harmful or attacking or going on the attack, I want you to be like a dove. I want you to be so innocent and gentle to people. You're a joy for them to be around. And so he communicates it, this about maturity, that maturity and understanding are actually synonymous with one another. We can't say we have understanding, and yet we do not care for others. We're just showing that we are not mature. Now, he goes on here in verse 21 to share uh, a quotation from Isaiah chapter 28. But the beginning of what Isaiah 28 is communicating is actually back in Deuteronomy 28. So as Moses is giving a prophetic word to the people, what he's sharing with them in Deuteronomy 28 is, look, if you don't obey the commands of the Lord, all these lists, a bad thing, a whole chapter of bad stuff is going to happen to you. But on top of that, a nation whose tongue you do not understand is going to come in and they're going to take you away. And so when you arrive 700 years later in Isaiah, what have they done? They've not obeyed any of God's commands. And then amazingly, it's always a surprise to us, God's word is fulfilled. And so the Lord allows the Assyrians to come in, and they deport all the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, leaving only Judah and Benjamin in the south uh, left. That's it. So all the northern ten tribes in 722 uh, B.C. are carted off by the Assyrians in a people whose tongues and lips they did not understand carried them away because they did not hear the Lord. The common denominator of what Paul is communicating is it's your own unbelief that's really driving you out of the land. The issue in both of these cases is one of unbelief. And so for the unbeliever, there are these signs that happen as they enter into a church. And yet the reality is if we're all sharing a word from the Lord in the tongue, when a new person walks in, they're going to turn right back around and walk out. It looks like crazy town. And so this is what Paul's trying to communicate. You're going to drive people off. And the sad part about the church in Corinth is there was only one Christian church. You didn't have 15 other options or 30 other options to go to. So Paul wants to make it clear we don't want to drive people off. But if a word is shared with understanding, if a prophetic word is communicated, then what happens is the Spirit can actually do so directly to the individual. If it's done in an orderly way, that God can actually communicate to you in a very one-on-one, -on -one, intimate way that is the word spoken just simply for you. And so for the one who comes in that does not believe, uh, they are convicted and convinced. They are convicted and convinced by what God has spoken to them. And I don't know about you, but there was a time not that many years ago where the Lord both convicted and convinced me 
in a church service where the word was just simply being shared. And so it's the power of God's word to convict and convince. And for those who do believe uh, the word being shared, it's an encouragement and an exhortation. It, it's, it's an encouragement and then a strong encouragement. And I love this part at the end, is that uh, the secrets of his heart are revealed, and falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. And so here we are, almost three years into this church plant, and I will tell you, um, I didn't have a stinking clue what it looked like to plant a church. No idea. I pretended like I knew what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. And here we are, almost three years in. I still don't really know what I'm doing. I, we're just kind of plodding along. But when people ask me, what do you want someone to say about your church? How do you want them to communicate it? Whether they stay here and they call us family or not. Whether they say this is a spot for me or they go to some place else. I pray they find the right spot for them. Uh, my goodness, I hope that when they leave, they say, God is truly there could be no better thing that somebody could say about this place than God is truly there. And so this is what Paul is communicating to them about sharing a word in order where it can be understood. Verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And verse 32, The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And so Paul begins here by saying, How is it possible that every one of you woke up today and thought, You know, the Lord has put a word on my heart. I just got to share. How is it possible that every single one of you have something you think you need to share on a Sunday morning? I mean, you're not all Jeremiah. The word of the Lord just burns inside me. I can't keep it in anymore. i got to share. Like, that, that doesn't make sense. God, God hasn't given each and every one of you a word that, in fact, all you're doing is just drawing attention to yourself. And when anybody walks in, it's just a mess. Instead, let it be done in order so that you can be edified, so that you can be built up. But instead of edification, they simply just produce confusion. Now, Paul suggests an order then for them in verses 27 through 29. Very simple. Look, let two or three of you share. If you've got a, a, a praise you want to give in a tongue, but make sure someone's there to interpret. If you've got a prophecy you want to give, let two or three of you go. And for the rest of you, just sit down and listen. I mean, take a little bit of time and just listen to what's being shared. It's a good thing to be able to sit quietly and just listen to what's being spoken. Now, verse 32, he says this, and this is important for us to understand, that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. When you hear people at times who get out of hand with sharing their spiritual gift, they'll say, well, I just didn't have control 
the Spirit came over me and I just couldn't control myself in service. Um, here's what Paul says. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. God didn't give us a spirit of confusion. He gave us a spirit of control. And so as he gives you a gift, you in fact have control over that gift. You can, uh, in other words, you can uh, zip it, is what Paul is saying. There's a time where you can shut that thing down and sit quietly because the reality is, if the Spirit, in verse 33, is being communicated to the people, if you believe the person speaking is Spirit-led, why on earth would the Holy Spirit interrupt Himself? Why would He need to interrupt Himself to communicate something to you if He's the one truly doing the communicating? He's a God of order. Unlike me, I can't even manage to pick up the bathroom after myself. I mean, I, it's a struggle for me to keep any kind of order, but we serve a God of order. Now, verse 34. Let your women keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Oh boy. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, moving on. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And so, what we have here, and it's important for us to, to call it out, is to talk about this uh, very specifically. Because what often happens is, uh, text is taken out of its context, and then it's used for all kind of doctrine, which creates all kind of dogma, and all these things that then become controversial when the Spirit is called to actually unify us, not divide us. And so what we see Paul communicating is inside a very specific instance. He's not saying that women can never speak. In fact, this would contradict his own words in chapter 11, verse 5, where he says, As a female, if you've been given a word of prophecy, you're called to have a head covering before you share. Now, we talked about head coverings, and that's weird in our culture. But the reality is, you're to come under the correct authority. That's what he was trying to communicate back there in chapter 11. In this spot, where we fast-forwarded now to chapter 14, he's talking about specific incidents that happen within a church setting. So you have to keep in mind, if we were in a church in Corinth uh, back in the day, uh, this is the way it would look. Uh, all the men on one side, all sitting in one section together, and all the women over on the other side, you're all sitting in your area together. And then the speaker is out uh, in the middle, sharing with the congregation. Now, if you go to the Middle East, in fact, if you go with us to Israel in 2024, shameless plug, if you'd like to go to Israel in 2024, there you go. Uh, what you'll find is there are still several holy sites where men and women are specifically separated. It's how they're uh, organized culturally. But in this spot where they would have been separated, men from women, and then the speaker, but in fact it wasn't a speaker was sharing, it was multiple speakers. Lots of things were happening in the church in Corinth. People were all trying to share at the same time. And what it appears is that uh, these ladies were over on their side and they were speaking. But the word in Greek is actually word uh, chatter. It's that... They're trying to figure out, though, what in the heck is going on. And so as they're talking amongst themselves trying to figure out what's going on, apparently they would lean over and look at their husbands and go, Bob! Hey, Bob! What's he talking about? What's going on? And he's over here going, what? What? I can't. I, what, what are you saying, woman? I'm saying what's he talking about? I can't understand. And so this whole back and forth is now going on 
inside the church service, and it's completely crazy. To which Paul says, uh, if you've got a question in church, just wait till you get home. You don't need to yell at your husband on the other side to try to figure out what they're talking about. Uh, give it some time. Go home. You guys communicate about it uh, directly. And so, all this, though, is not the fault of those that were trying to yell back and forth. Paul is addressing the issue because of the disorderly conduct that was allowed inside the church in Corinth. They were struggling with uh, things being done decently and in order, and so he had to bring this piece up. Now, verse 36, Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only, uh, or, or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. And so this is what uh, Paul is doing is referred to as a slam dunk. Because he asks the question first, if there are any of you that think yourself uh, to be spiritual, and then you know all the people that thought they were super spiritual, like, oh, me, 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 I think I'm spiritual. I'm so spiritual. Paul's like, that's fantastic. If you think you're spiritual, then you're going to acknowledge everything I just said is a commandment from the Lord. And then they're like, Wait a minute, I just admitted that everything Paul said is a command from the Lord. So good job, Paul, wording it this way. But he's trying to make it clear that these things that are written are from the Lord. Now, verse 38, he says, But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. I want to just pause there for a second because I think lots of us, at least some of us, have been in the spot where you try to share with people that you really want to know Jesus. Maybe it's a coworker, or a family, or a friend. And, and you've been in a spot where you just so want them to know the Lord. But then after a while, maybe years, uh, what you have to realize is, is what I've communicated to people because it was communicated to me by my pastor is you can only minister to people to the degree that they let you. At some point in time, you cannot minister to them beyond where they will allow you to go. So if they want to be ignorant, have to just allow them to be ignorant. Thankfully, God is a gentleman. He will not force anything upon us. He, he allows us to make decisions for ourselves. It's frustrating sometimes about the Lord because I, I want him to force people into things. I want him to force people to love him, but he, he won't. He loves us too much. And so he gives us an opportunity to respond. And yet at some point, as you're sharing, what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 6 is, don't continue to throw your pearls to the swine. Because what happens is uh, they eat the pearl and then they trample you. And so the reality is for some of us, and it's it's down the road, it's not the first time you share with somebody, but there comes a point in time where you just simply get trampled to the point where it's not worth you sharing that beautiful pearl, that thing that is so valuable. You have to come to the point where you let them be ignorant and understand what Paul communicates here in 2 Corinthians Verse uh, chapter 2, verse 16, is this, To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So there will be some who you communicate with, and you smell like death. I mean, there's a reason they have their nose turned up, like you smell like somebody died. That is not good. But what they're really communicating is, um, you're a reminder that there's going to be a wrap-up to this thing. And I don't know where I'm going, so I'm insecure, but I'm not going to admit to that. I'm just going to be ignorant. 
And so you smell like death. You're a reminder to them that they're not right with Jesus. They're not, they have no clue how this thing's going to play out while you do. But there are others. When you come into contact, they might not even believe yet, but when you begin to share, you can tell you smell like life. They want to be around. They want to hear more. They're hungry to hear what it is you have that you can communicate to them. And what I want to encourage you is when you come across that person, share more. Spend time in that relationship. Cultivate that thing. Share with them. Invest in them. And so, if there are those that want to be ignorant, we have to allow them to be. Now, lastly, as we wrap up, verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So what Paul wants to finally do is wrap this thing up, put a cap on it, and say, look, everything that happens inside this group needs to be done decently and in order. Why would God be so adamant about that? And Paul want to reiterate that? Well, it's because as things are done decently and in order, it, first of all, it gives us comfort. That's the, the purpose of prophecy, right? It's so we can be comforted. But the other piece that I wanted to point out is it gives others access. That when we are done, when things are done decently and in order and not crazy town, people have access specifically to the king. One last spot in scripture, Luke chapter 9, that I'm going to take you. In this spot, Jesus is feeding the 5,000 men, which meaning likely if there were 5,000 men, there were 10 to 15,000 people that had gathered to listen to him speak, and then he fed them. And we've got this wonderful Bible story that the kids learn downstairs and we get so excited about. But, but here's a verse that maybe you passed over. Uh, verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. You see what Jesus did? He put an order to where there was chaos. Where there was groups of people just gathered together. He had them sit down specifically in rows and groups of 50. Why would he do that? So that they could have access access to the bread, access to the very bread of life that he was symbolizing for them. And the thing is, he wants the same for us. He wants us to to have orderly services, to create aisles so that people can have access to the bread, so they can have access to the throne, access to the king. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And so as we come in here and we think about prophetic words. Paul's addressed this over and over again, that it's it's a good thing for words of prophecy to be shared. And that word for us, it doesn't always line up, but I want to just one more time remind you that uh, prophecy is in two different groups. Uh, The first group is uh, foretelling. That's when we think of Isaiah giving these prophecies that wouldn't take place for hundreds of years or thousands of years later. Those are those prophetic words. And guys with long beards that are eating like locusts and stuff are like, oh, that's a prophet. But then there's another side of prophecy. It's called foretelling. That's where God's word is spoken into your life in the here and now. And then what happens is the Spirit communicates something for you that you needed personally and directly. And I share that to say that as we come together in an organized way, as we assemble ourselves in a way where there are aisleways to have paths to the King, and then the word is shared, but oftentimes he will communicate something specifically and clearly just to you. 
I'm amazed at how many times uh, after a service I will speak to someone. Maybe it's that day or weeks later, and they'll say, you remember when you said these things? You remember when you were going through that scripture? This is what God gave to me in that moment. And, and every time I've got this look on my face, I'm like, I don't even know that I said that. I'm not, I'm not. Praise the Lord. But the thing is, it wasn't the speaker, you see. It was the Spirit communicating. And so as the Word goes out, the Spirit goes in, and then He's able to communicate with you personally and directly. And what happens, the result of that is, is comfort, and edification, and encouragement. And it's all coming from the King of Kings. And so that sounds like something that is worthy of being in order and organized for. Father, we thank You and we praise you for very direct words from the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to express gifts that you've given us. Thank you that you just love us enough to give us gifts, Lord. Amazing. So thank you, Lord, so much for the gifts you've given to the people in this room, the gifts you've given throughout the years, throughout the millennium to the church so that people can be reached and edified and exhorted and comforted. Father, I just want to praise you for loving us enough to speak to us directly through your word, individually, personally. Lord, there are those here today that they need the conviction and the laying things down in their feet so they can get in a right relationship with you. And there are others here today that are just heartbroken, they just need a hug from their dad. Thank you, love us enough just to give us a hug. And there are others that just need us some encouragement. And so thank you, Father, that you can address people individually by the power of your Spirit in all these different ways. I still am mesmerized by the way you work and the way you move. And so I thank you and I praise you for it. Lord, as we get our hearts prepared to take communion, and remember what it is that you did on the cross. Your life that was laid down where it should have been me. I was supposed to be there. Thank you so much for that. Would you please examine our hearts today? Would you look deep into me? And Father, please point out all the stuff that you know I need to work on. The things that draw me into a closer relationship and the things that stop me from having a closer relationship with you. Lord, would you please give encouragement while at the same time giving us a little exhortation to the people. We pray all this in Jesus' name.